Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number 25, and I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, on today's show, I'm excited to welcome back one of our earlier guests, uh, Maxi Misiek. And uh, back in episode number 14, Maxi talked about her work researching and exploring the therapeutic relationship within physiotherapy. And I definitely encourage you to check out that episode. It's a little on the long side, but there's a lot of great content in there. So Maxi, great to have you on the show again. Great to be back, Andrew. Yeah, so we, we talked a lot about the therapeutic relationship, which we probably could have even talked about more in the last uh, episode. And it's a big topic, right? And I think that there's a lot of different directions we could take with exploring this area. Um, but I know that one of the areas that we talked about and really what uh, you know you highlighted as being foundational in terms of really doing a better job of fostering the therapeutic relationship is understanding ourselves. And I'm just wondering, you know, why you feel so strongly about that, uh, that foundational element there. Well, you know, I think it stems back to um, my psychotherapy training um, that I took in Homey because that was a key element of um, really becoming um, able to develop therapeutic relationships. So the idea was that unless you know about your own baggage, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you really are going to bump up against uh, barriers to being with, being present with uh, your patients and helping them shift through their barriers. Uh, and so, so really being aware about how you're triggered, what triggers you, um, sometimes the patient's mirroring you, right? Um, your own issues. Um, but if I'm reacting, if I'm in a reactive state with a patient and I'm, I'm activated, um, then I'm going to have difficulty helping a patient uh, regulate themselves or be grounded and present. So, so that was, that was key. Like if you didn't know your own stuff, you know, it was in your own suitcase. If you didn't, if you didn't know that uh, you weren't going to move, you weren't going to move along in terms of becoming a competent um, Hakomi therapist. Right. And so, and so our, my, my, um, the trainers were certainly watching for that um, in terms of how we knew what our own stuff was, what our own baggage was, how we dealt with that through the training, how we grew as people by our own baggage, but, but, um, but also how we apply that within a therapeutic encounter. So how did you identify those triggers in yourself? Because um, obviously you said that, you know, these different instructors were picking up on some of this as you were going through the training. So what kind of triggers were they looking for? Like, what did you sense in yourself? What did they see in you as you were, uh, you know, interacting with, you know, in a, in a patient context to see sort of, oh, hang on a second, this is what's going on. Well, you know, I mean, I, I said, you know, uh, trainers were picking up on things, but but really it was about, about uh, like the individual picking up on things. So the, the, the joy and the pain of, of doing psychotherapy or, or training to be in that sort of realm is that um, you're actually doing psychotherapy with one another, right? During this thing. And so you learn about your own baggage, either as being a, um, as being a patient or a client, you know, in a setting, but you're working on your own stuff. It's not set up, right? You're actually dealing with your own stuff. In that setting, so that was a very rich environment. That was I was at a high, real, real advantage in that environment to do that. Um, however, as we're as 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 
therapist, when we were doing, um, when we were doing sessions, um, either with just another, like we usually would be in sessions with two or three people, right? So you have an observer, you'd have your patient and then you'd have a therapist, um, or you'd be in a fishbowl situation. Um, we'd stop sessions. Um, and you know, we pause sessions and go, okay, so Maxie, I notice that you're taking this road or I notice that you're, you know, so, or, or you would notice that you're becoming activated, right. Over with certain issues that, that were coming up. So it was a, it was about feedback from other people, but also a really heightened sense of reflexive. Like I need to know how I'm reacting in this moment. What's happening for me in this moment and, and what's going on, what's happening. Could, could you unpack act, the word activated? Because I feel like, I don't know if a lot of physios are going to necessarily uh, gr- like tap into what you're meaning there. I mean, are you talking about a, a very much like a visceral ty- type of activation or are you thinking yeah. more of a cognitive activation? So, so, well, they're all linked. They're all linked. But definitely when I'm, when I'm referring to activated, I'm saying it's a physiological activation, a limbic, uh, but also a reptilian activation um, where you're you're going into some sort of a, not a heightened fight or flight, but, but you know, you're, you're going into a, a, a posture where some, there's some sort of threat, right? It can be, threat, right. So, so, um, and then we respond in different ways to that. So when I'm activated, I'm not, I'm not physiologically grounded and I'm not emotionally grounded as well. Right. Yeah, I know for myself, when I've been activated, I, I often feel like a pressure in my chest or I feel like I really just actually stop breathing very well. Like I just go into this shallow breathing and I'm like, I should really actually just breathe here for a second. But, but, that, but that's a perfect example of, of that reflexive sort of, I'm aware that something is not right. I'm not grounded and I'm not breathing. And that's not, that's not I'm activated in some way. The next step is to go, what in me, what is being triggered inside of me by this situation, right? The situation that's happening um, with the patient or with another human being, you know, whatever. This is about relationships. So a lot of those things transfer over to our, our personal relationships as well. Yeah, and I found that one of the uh, great ways to see how you activate and, and your response to that is when you actually have a patient situation where their their emotion comes through and it's in the interaction like i you know i've just was thinking you know about how um you know if if a patient starts crying during a treatment session right uh what does that bring up for me right and that emotion almost like it it uh you know it, we, we respond to that in such different ways but i find that it often is sort of a really interesting spotlight in terms of how do i feel about that emotion that the other person's sharing how do I actually, what am I doing with that? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a huge, um, for me when I was doing uh, my psychotherapy training, that was a trigger for me, other people's emotion. Um, and my, the core belief that I had about that emotion was yeah. that something bad was going to happen. There were emotions involved, stronger emotions involved. Something bad would happen. That's what, the, the voice in the back of my head is saying, right. Um, and just as a, as context that came through, like going, like during, during the training and sort of understanding my character and understanding, you know, how I, how I'd respond to certain situations. And so, so that was a, a me getting to the actual belief that I had 
about emotions. Emotions, bad things will happen if emotions show up. That's a belief that developed when I was a child, right? And so that stuck with me and that shaped the way I started to respond to people's emotion, right? Um, and it's it was adaptive in some ways, but as a therapist, maladaptive. Yeah, because exactly. <laughs> it's part of life to help that person in that moment, right? So, um, yeah, so what was your question? <laughs> well, no, I just, I was just making the point. I think that uh, sometimes it's like, you know, we're going through treating patients where, you know, and we're not necessarily um, even aware in terms of uh, what are those triggers for us, right? And what are some of those beliefs? And I think that, you know, when we can start to tune in a little more in terms of, uh, you know, recognizing how we respond to emotion within our patient interactions. I mean, and this can obviously be outside of patient interactions, but you know, then we can start to see like, okay, well, let's reflect on that. Like what, why did that make me feel uncomfortable? Why, you know, did I feel like I just wanted to move past and start treating them again and not actually talk? Not acknowledging, it? not acknowledging that whole situation. Yeah, right? It just and didn't happen. <laughs> moving around it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And not being very, um, yeah. Savvy with, um, Savvy isn't even the word, but you know, just just being able to be with that person in that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I remember a, a psychologist that I worked with um, when I worked at Millard Health on an interdisciplinary team, um, working with patients who are managing chronic pain and chronic conditions. She said something that has carried with me for years, and and she said about emotion. She said it's just an emotion emotions pass emotions will pass it's just an emotion um and so i went yeah you're right like emotions are not life-threatening right moment emotions are life-threatening we perceive it as life-threatening oh exactly right? <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's not truly life-threatening and so so that helped me be able to kind of when i when i i knew that when patients would start to become more emotional it was more about me not thinking it was life-threatening for me, right? Um, but also not for them. So, uh, my other character strategies that I figured out during my, you know, long path um, is is that I, you try to fix things, right? Or you try to change things. So if somebody's in, a, in an emotional state, I need to fix that or to avoid it, right? But really... You don't have to fix any. As a physio, we're not there to deal with people's emotional baggage in a psychological way. So if somebody becomes emotional in a session with us, we can't ignore that. We have to acknowledge it. And sometimes the best way to acknowledge it is just to sit with it. Some people do not need you to stop them from crying or to fix the reason that they're crying. They just need you to hold a space for them just to work through that, to cry or to, to just feel that emotion, and then they're going to come through it. Yeah, exactly. And just allowing a little bit of that, uh, that uh, silence for them to actually be able to experience it, right? Rather than trying to fill that void with words, because that's what I want to do. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk now because this is uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was in that situation yesterday, personally, uh, just in a human relationship with a friend, we're at a restaurant. Um, recently my mother-in-law passed away and it's still at times when I, when I speak about it, I become emotional. We're in a restaurant and I'm like, Oh, here I go. I'm becoming a little bit emotional. I'm starting to, you know, tear up and well up. And do you want to know what she did? 
she just sat there. She didn't say anything. She just let me do what I needed to do to contain it. Most people don't want to break down in front of you. Okay, they just want to melt down. <laughs> it's not their first goal of the, the session. <laughs> They're in a physical therapy situation. They want to contain that emotion, right? Um, but your ability to just sit there and acknowledge that, hey, we don't have to rush through this. This at your pace. And I will hold a space for you to negotiate this. And it's okay for you to be, to be here in whatever state that you're in. It's safe to be here with me and be emotional. You don't have to change that. Well, and I think that's that. I mean, it just sort of comes back to that to that key of being able to actually just spend time with your patients. Like this is what I mean. I think you know this would go on another tangent, but it just pains me when you know when you know when I see uh, therapists who are just sort of darting from one treatment room to the next, and it's like, and and you you just don't even have the liberty or the flexibility to say, you know what, I can just sit here with this patient and be okay because I'm not stressing about the three other patients that I have <laughs> that are waiting for me, right? And that's a, that's huge. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think, I mean, we need to, you know, we need to make decisions in those moments, right? And I'm certainly not going to sit here and say, well, your decision should always be to remain with that patient. And you know what I mean? Like, because there are times, if you can, and if you can negotiate that, I think that is a prime choice if you can stay there, right? And, you know, in some capacity. However, and I don't want to give therapists a note here, but, you know, I'm going to trust they're going to make good decisions. But, you know, you can communicate with somebody in that session and say, you want to know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of space just to, just to be here for a bit. Okay? I'm going to go and check on another patient, right? This is like, and acknowledge, this is really, this seems like it's emotional. It's hard situation. I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to go and check on another patient. I'll be back in five minutes. Okay. And you know, and if you need me, just I'm here if you need me, but communicate with them and at least acknowledge the situation and acknowledge to communicate that you have to leave, but you're not deserting them. I think that's the deal is I'm not deserting you. Right. Well, I think you've, you mean, even in your example, I think you bring up a really good point in that. And, and you just demonstrate that, um, it's about acknowledging that person's feelings. Like, I think a lot of times it's like we, you know, we, we, with the way we were talking about it, that fix it mentality, we just want to solve their problem. We want to solve this issue that they're going through or whatever it is. But I found that a lot of times what can be really effective is just acknowledging, like, it sounds like you're really frustrated right now, right? Or it sounds like you're really afraid that you're not going to get better. And then just let them say the next thing, right? And I, and I, I mean, you just demonstrated that example, but I think it highlights how, how powerful that is, right? Like you literally don't have to give any words of wisdom <laughs> or, you know, big uh, revelations. Like it really is just, this is what I'm, this is what I'm hearing from you, right? Yeah. And, and so that, yeah, that also stems back to, to a bit philosophically or principle of practice, right? So, I mean, if you're operating from, so I'm going to bring a little psychotherapy theory into it, um, or motivational interviewing, if people there do motivational interviewing, um, it's based on Rogerian principles. So that there is this organic sort of impulse in people to heal, right? And yeah. so, so you don't have to do a lot. You don't have to come up with the solution in those situations, 
right? The person can often come up with enough ideas so that you can work together. But by just acknowledging that, and so we called it, like in Hikomi, we called it contacting. I'm going to contact your emotion. I'm just going to touch up against it. I'm going to contact it. I'm going to acknowledge it. Frustrating. That seems frustrating. You don't even have to pin it to them. Like, you are frustrated. It's, wow, frustrating, huh? Like, you know, then that lets them move forward in terms of, of working through what they're going to work through or talk about. For example, like I mean, working at WCB for years, there's a lot of frustration. And so, you know, um, so being able to just name things and even, and maybe they're not frustrated. So you all frustrated, huh? And they go, well, no, I'm not really frustrated. I'm this. Oh, okay. Right. Have to be, and also to allowing them to name their own feeling, right? Exactly, yeah. What, and I was just going to say, too, I think sometimes what happens is that, that the patient has a hard time even expressing what they are feeling. And sometimes I just will acknowledge what their body language is. It, you, you seem really tense right now. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, like, like what's, your, what's going your, on? Your shoulders are up. Or you yeah. stop breathing. Something very observable. Exactly. Right? So there is. So you're not trying to interpret. Oh well, it means that you're feeling this. It's just a, acknowledging that this is what I'm seeing. Do you mind, like, what's going on for you, right? And just leaving that door open for them to explore that yeah. within the session. Exactly. And so that then coming back around to you know how we're being aware of ourselves. I think it brings it back to what you initially said about you being aware of your physical body. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And and just how you respond to to different triggers with with patients. And it might not be, you know, I'm talking about well, I want to fix things or I wanna um, you know, with people who are emotional, I want to fix things, I want to stop their frustration, I want to stop their sadness, I wanna, you know, figure that out. It can be more you know, you can get triggered in other ways. Not everybody is going to say, well, I want to fix this. Some people may go like, oh, come on, get over it. Or, you know what I'm the voice in the head that's, that's, that's saying things and you're responding in, in a way. So, so certainly I'm not going to try and project that everybody's going to feel the same way, but as a therapist, you need to know what belief, what, what you're starting to say and project onto people. Um, from your own beliefs, right? For example, like if I if I um, have dealt with a significant, you know, injury in my in my lifetime, and I've dealt with a lot of pain, I may when patients don't want to move forward or don't, you know, have issues with pain management, I may project a in my own head toughen up, like or you know what I mean? Those sorts of those sorts of or if patients aren't willing to uh, do their exercise program, let's say. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, you know, if you have a really strong sort of work ethic, um, you may project as well, you're not a hard worker onto somebody, right? And so you start to, it's not just with emotional situations, it's also situations that bump up against our own personalities and our own characters that then we start to react and respond in ways that butt up against those folks instead of going, okay, let me try and understand what's happening with this person and why they're not committing to an exercise program. So, let, so let's run through this, like the example where, you know, I'm a therapist, I, uh, I, I'm recognizing that I'm being activated in some way, maybe I'm feeling, um, 
you know, let's just say that we're feeling internally, you know, frustrated, we've tension, whatever, we're, but we don't really know what's going on for us, right? We just recognize that, I mean, that's sort of the first step, I think, is like sort of recognizing there's something going on in my body. I, I know that I'm somehow being triggered here. But in the moment, you're just, you just go on with your treatment because that's sort of what you have to do. <laughs> you can't just sort of take a time out and say, let me think about what I, what's just been going on for me. So what I'm wondering is like, what would you say is a, is a, you know, a great sort of first step to say, okay, how do you move from that place? Let's, so let's say you're, you know, you've done your, you know, you're, you're seeing your patients for the day and you're now you're reflecting on that situation. Like, what would you do to start to explore that internally uh, in a way that's actually going to start to move things forward from an understanding standpoint. That's, um, I don't want to say that's tough. It's, it, it's tough in, in, you know, it's a tough process, but I think, um, I think you can do things on your own. Like you can, like you said, you go back, you reflect on it, you bring up the situation. Um, like I, I don't want to go too deeply into being mindful because I think that's a process, but for people who are, who get that, who, who have a sense of what mindfulness is, you can actually just become more mindful of what's happening in your body. And then sort of what are the thoughts that start to emerge with that? Right. You know, if you have a particular, um, you know, uh, reaction in your body and you're going, Hmm, like what's going on there? Like, what am I feeling? Like, what, am I angry? Am I, you know, am I, and so it, it, it involves really being honest with yourself. First of all, like you can't do this without being honest, brutally honest with yourself. Right. And so you have to be able to admit, yeah, that made me angry when that person did that. I get pissed off when this person does this. Right. Um, and then you can begin to go, okay, well now, you know, how do I manage that in a situation? Like, do you have to, um, you know, is it a pattern for you? And then how do you ground, reground yourself? Um, for me, it's certainly through a more empathic sort of response. And because of some of the training that I've had, just understanding people's, um, how people's characters react or how people respond and how they develop these beliefs, that allows me to be very empathetic. Right. So I try to move back into understanding, okay, this is where this person's coming from. This is where their triggers are coming from. Right. And trying to, to stay grounded that way. Um, yeah. So I bring in more different types of theories for that. Um, you know, within motivational interviewing, right. You have, you know, you're working through patients ambivalence, right. So I'm not, I don't do motivational interviewing, but knowing it from a theoretical perspective that, that, when you have those types of, of frameworks or, or ways of operating that you can go back and touch to, um, then that helps you reground yourself as well, right? So, um, so I, I'm rambling a little bit, but but there's that individual work that you do. But also, you want to know what I, I think that we do best as humans when we um, when we work with one another, and so I think some peer learning. Um, if you've got, you know, a couple of therapists who, or even just one who you go, Hey, you want to know what, for my continuing competency, <laughs> because that's coming. Yeah, that's true. It is. <laughs> I can 
competency. I want to become a reflexive practitioner in terms of this. This is my goal. And the way, a way that I'm going to do that is so-and-so, my fellow clinician and I are going to partner up. We're going to meet once a month and we're going to start to not bitch about patients. <laughs> we're going to start to understand our own reactions to patients and even working through and talking with somebody else, I think helps us become aware and helps us develop solutions because it's, it's, it has to be a personal solution as well. You know, we, we talk about, um, you know, patient driven solutions and, and, you know, individualizing treatments and solutions for patients. Well, the things that I do for myself need to be individualized for me too, as a therapist. And so I think that we work better in those situations. Um, we're social, we can help one another. So I think peer learning and just that kind of Belintish sort of feel um, can really be can really be helpful. And I mean, psychotherapists, I believe psychologists, that's a part of, you know, they're, I, I'm speaking out of my butt here a little bit, but like I, I do, I, I don't know if it's required, but I know that they debrief, like they will have, they, because that's a part of it, you know, whether you believe in transference or not, right? A, a psychoanalytic perspective or not, that is a part of what they need to do because they know when they're working with the material that they're working with with patients that it can get really messy and they really need to be grounded when they're working with, with their patients, psychological issues, right? Well, that makes sense. I mean, I know like for myself, uh, I've found that journaling actually can be a really powerful technique because it's, it's even that process of slowing. I mean, it's, it's some ways it's almost a meditative process. I find journaling because it's, it slows your brain down enough that you don't just have these swirling thoughts in your head and feelings like you actually like that pen, like pen to paper. There's something that that tactile connection that I find it allows my mind to slow down, but it also sort of allows these many little epiphanies that to take place as I'm just writing about the situation. And it doesn't even have to have be anything super structured, but it can just be like, I was feeling whatever, or I felt this, you know, in my chest, or I felt, you know, my palms get sweaty, you know, and then just start to write about like, you know, what, what was the patient doing? Like, and just sort of starting to reflect and sort of uh, paint that picture of what the experience was, it just allows you to say, oh yeah, actually, you know what, I was, I was angry. Well, why was I angry? Okay, well, let's talk. Like, you know, you sort of. And, oh, that's a great. It's a, that's a, like, yeah, that's a great uh, suggestion. That's brilliant. Yeah, because I do think, because there's a story around it, right? And what is the story around this situation? Let's, let's pick it apart a little bit, right? And, and get to, well, you know, this person is, a, you know, and it's whatever you do, right? When you write. So, no, I think yeah. journaling for your continuing competency that could be another yeah, that's right another learning that could be another learning activity well yeah because it i think it again it's something that uh, you know you can sort of just do at the end of a day you know or you know it and it, especially when it's fresher in mind i think it's easier to sort of unpack some of those things um and it doesn't have to take a long time like it's not about like journaling for an hour it's like 10 minutes of of yeah is no. a start right like yeah and and you start to notice patterns in your right um, and, and you want to know, and I think that all that, that stuff kind of spills out into your, your personal relationships as well, because it's not like we go into a vacuum, <laughs> right? You know, this different kind of relationship, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bounded kind of relationship, but though we take our baggage into our, into our relationships with our partners or our siblings or our parents or our friends. And I think that the more we can become just aware of how 
we are in relationship, period, um, that helps us to be able to, to identify things um, and, and work on things and, and to even be able to communicate through that, right, uh, with another person, you know. So, so yeah, no journaling, excellent suggestion. Well, hey, I think we've covered a lot of ground here today again. <laughs> and I think that there's a few takeaways that I've picked up just in from our conversation, uh, you know, that I want to just sort of highlight, I mean, and, and jump in, Maxie, if there's anything I'm missing here. But I think one of the things is um, recognizing uh, and just becoming a little more aware of when you become activated uh, in patient situations and, and, you know, what's going on in your body physiologically when you're going through some of these experiences um, I think as sort of, you know, as a good starting point is to recognize, uh, you know, and explore what your own beliefs are, uh, and, and some of the own, your own story that is coming into the, the patient interaction. So we talked about being activated, then, then really understanding your own story and, and beliefs uh, that you bring to the table and, and that it does take some reflection. Um, and that reflection can happen individually, but also it can work really well when you bring someone else into that uh, you know, uh, process. Um, and then I think the other key thing was just around um, uh, emotions are just emotions. And uh, we don't need to try to fix someone. We don't need to try to solve that problem for them. We don't need to resolve their baggage, but really just being present and being in the moment with that patient can be enough for that emotion to be acknowledged and then allow it to just move it through its course of experience. Um, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? I, I sort of, I mean, obviously we talked a lot, a lot, but that's sort of the key takeaways that I, that I got. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I, and I think that, that, that on, like on a meta level that, um, you know, we, we, in order for us to grow, we, we talk about therapeutic relationships and we're going to do this, this, and this, and this develop relationships. And, and it, it's like, it's just, if we do these things, you know, um, we'll be able to develop relationships. And it's really, um, I think we can certainly go, that will certainly get us to a point, right? It, it will get us to a point. However, we need to acknowledge that a relationship is mutual. And that if the patient is activating us, we're likely activating the patient. And so we get into a little system, all right? So, so I think us becoming, taking more responsibility for what we bring to the relationship, what we bring to that engagement, I think is going to, um, it's going to help us grow as therapists in the inter in, into interactions, um, and it's going to help uh, us help patients. And, as, and we're going to grow and we're going to ourselves because ultimately and we can talk about burnout. We can talk about all that stuff, but really, you know, at the end of the day, we need to get something from our engagements with patients as well. We need to be fed by what we do. And if we can grow in ourselves and be able to engage in ways that are less stressful for us, <laughs> then, Maybe that will contribute to some sort of longevity or, you know, um, uh, joy in what we do. Exactly. And I think as I've been reflecting on, like, what is Ignite Physio about and what's our community about? I mean, it really is about how do we support growth within each other, right? How do we uh, continue to foster a growth mindset? Because I think it is so easy to stagnate in our practice. And I think that the risk of burnout and the risk of frustration increase 
when we are stagnated. You know, I think when we're growing, when we're curious, when we're learning, when we're, when we're, uh, you know, there's these healthy therapeutic relationships that are going on. I think that's just a recipe for uh, in being engaged as a practitioner, which I think is, which is key on so many different levels. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point. So, hey, well, Maxie, I uh, want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. Um, and thanks for, uh, to our listeners for joining uh, in with us today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes and, uh, and uh, feel free to share this podcast as well with uh, your colleagues. And until uh, next time. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Andrew.